Uh, once in a while, before the message, I begin, I, the last year or so, I've been beginning with a, an ancient prayer that begins, Come Holy Spirit, come. Some of you have become a little familiar with it. Some of you have even asked for copies of it. But I thought we would pray it today, but a little differently, where I'll pray it, I'll say phrase by phrase, and you repeat after me, okay? Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the light and reveal. Show us our sin. Turn us around. Set us apart until we are wholly yours. Amen. Um, some of you may not know about me, but I grew up in the country, in a farm. I, I, went, I, I grew up really country. I grew up, went to a country school up through sixth grade. Uh, we went to a country church, and nearly everybody I knew lived on a farm. And I felt kind of sorry for those who didn't. Uh, the first time that I ever saw someone who didn't look like me was actually at my church. Uh, we, they brought in a guest preacher one Sunday uh, from Lincoln, an African-American man. Uh, and actually, he came a few times when I was a kid. And I remember one time, uh, I might have been around 10 years old or so, uh, we, had an all, we had a big church picnic, and uh, this guy came with his family. And he had kids, and he had a son around my age. It was the first time I had ever seen a black kid. I, of course, I was intrigued, but I didn't know what to say. I felt awkward. Since then, God's given me a number of, of friends whose, whose race is different than mine. And I'm very thankful for those friends in my life. But what I, what I want to do now, we do this once in a while where I give you a minute to turn to one or two other people near you and, and uh, respond to something. So we'll try that again today. And today it is about uh, who is one of the first friends in your life who was not the same race as you? Uh, just kind of tell who was that person, maybe how you met them. And, of course, you don't have to say anything if you don't want to. Feel free to just listen in uh, if you're not ready for that. But... I would ask that you turn to one or two people near you and just share who was one, one of the first friends you ever had who was not the same race as you, okay? So go ahead.
All right. Sounds like you've gotten started on some great conversations. Um, you know, uh, you know, for Tricia and me, going to each other's class, high school class reunions is so different. You know, mine is pretty much all Caucasian, and, and hers from Kentucky is very, very mixed uh, uh, and, a, and very, uh, very attached to each other, too. I remember a couple of years ago, I was visiting with a friend of mine who's a pastor here in Omaha and very much a community leader here in the metro. Uh, and here's what he told me. He said, racial reconciliation requires racial understanding, and racial understanding requires that we develop some new friendships. And that's, of course, we're talking about befriended. He said it requires some friendships. We need to broaden our friendships. He, and then he came very specific with me. He said, Steve, if you have five or ten friends who are racially different from you, that's good. But it's not going to take you very far in understanding. But when you get to the point where you have maybe 25 or 30 friends, then you're going to start to see your level of understanding really take off. And by friends, he meant, you know, not just a mild acquaintance, but, but, you know, people that you talk to, people that you see regularly, or people that you uh, maybe text with some, and you, you maybe might catch a, grab lunch with them once in a while. Um, so anyway, I remember that day after we had that conversation, I sat down and I wrote a list. Came to a baby about 10, you know. But I also took his, his challenge to me as a, as a word for, to really, you know, move towards. So um, I, I, I just the other day, I stopped to count again, which I don't really think about counting, but today I, for this message I did, and I thought, okay, I think I'm, I'm about, a, about 15. But already I feel like my understanding is growing a little bit about life that's very different than mine. Uh, it's, it's, it's not maybe leaping off the charts, but it's, but it's moving forward. So today, today we're talking about prejudices. And one thing that I found is that it's not easy for me to be aware of my own prejudices. I remember one time a staff person uh, came to speak to me privately. Uh, we had just come out of a meeting, and she said it seemed to her that I was paying a lot more attention to one man who was talking and not giving very much attention at all to a couple of women who had shared, who had talked. And I go, oh. I thought, is that right? Uh, and, of course, we talked through it, but, but I thought, you know, may, I thought maybe I had pretty, gotten, pretty much gotten past my gender bias, but maybe I have still more work to do. I can't get past my prejudices until they're revealed to me. That's what I've decided. I can't get past my prejudices until they're revealed to me. When I was a young man, a woman from Kentucky told me about the stereotypes that she has found that Northerners often have towards Southerners. She said, they hear a Southern accent and immediately assume that person's not very smart. She experienced it. 
We can't get past our prejudices until they're revealed to us. When I was a little kid in Sunday school, uh, we learned about Jonah in the Bible. And what's Jonah famous for, right? The big fish, right? Getting swallowed, right? And uh, anyway, and so in Sunday school, I, I remember this. I mean, I was at the little kid's table, you know. And we, we, drew, we learned to draw the big fish and then a little stick figure, which was Jonah, inside. It was the world's first submarine ride, yeah? But that's not the big thing about Jonah. The big thing about Jonah is that God wanted him to take a message to the wicked people of Nineveh, and Jonah wouldn't go. He didn't want to go. He hated the Ninevites. You see, this story isn't about the fish. It's about prejudice. Prejudice. That's why Jonah went to Joppa and, and purchased passage on a boat going away from Nineveh. And that's why a terrible storm came up. And that's why he begged the sailors to, to throw him overboard. And that's why he got swallowed by a big fish. And that's why he got puked up by the big fish out onto the beach. And that's why Jonah decided, well, I think I'll go to Nineveh after all. And that's why Jonah announced that in 40 days Nineveh would be conquered. And that's why the Ninevites repented of their sin. And that's why God had mercy on them and they were not conquered. That's the story of Jonah. It's about his prejudice against Nineveh, a prejudice that God did not share. Jonah knew what God was like. Jonah knew that God is reluctant to judge and quick to forgive. He knew God would have mercy on them, and he didn't want God to have mercy on them. Fast forward now, nearly 800 years to the middle of the first century A.D., after the resurrection of Jesus, and, and his, his top ambassador of the good news at, at that time is Simon. His nickname is Peter. His formal name is Simon, son of Jonah. It, so I guess his father was named after the prophet Jonah. And in Acts chapter 10, where do we find Simon? in the coastal city of Joppa, the same place the prophet uh, Jonah was when he got on that boat. So we keep finding these little intersections between the two stories. And God's mission for Jonah is the same mission that for Simon, son of Jonah, take my message to the Gentiles. So, Let's open our Bibles up to this same passage that Marilyn read for us, uh, Acts chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 9. If you're using the few Bible on page 1102, and if you brought your own Bible, even better. While you're looking it up, let me set the stage a little bit. Cornelius is a Roman centurion uh, living in Caesarea by the sea. He's not a Jew, but he worships in a local synagogue with Jews. He's a devout man of prayer and generosity. And one day while he's praying, he sees a vision. A heavenly messenger addresses him. Cornelius. Cornelius is terrified. But the angel reassures him that he's found favor in God's eyes. Cornelius is instructed to, to send for a man named Simon Peter, who's in Joppa, 30 miles to the south. 
Meanwhile, Simon Peter, he's there in Joppa staying with a friend for a few days. Okay, if you're with me, let's start with verse 9. About noon the following day, and that is the day after Cornelius' vision in Caesarea, as they, and that's Cornelius' two servants and one of his soldiers, we learn later, while they were on their journey approaching the city, that is the city of Joppa, Peter went up on the roof to pray. You know, in the ancient Middle East, uh, for a lot of homes, your roof was kind of like your deck. It was, it was a flat roof. There were stairs on the outside of the house where you could go up to it. Uh, it was about noon, almost time for a little lunch, when Peter says, okay, I'm going to take a break and go up and pray for a while. Now in verse 10, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance, which he, he was like Cornelius. He was having a vision. So he's hungry, he's praying, he can smell lunch cooking, and, and uh, he, goes, he has this vision. Now let's go to verses 11 through 13. He saw heaven open, and something like a large sheet let down to earth by its four corners. Now, a large sheet, think of maybe the size of a sail on a sailboat, okay? It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Uh, now, all kinds of animals means some were kosher and some, like the reptiles, were not. And you can't mix kosher with non-kosher. That's not kosher. <laughs> so, here's God telling him to eat meat that for his entire life, He's been told, if you're going to be faithful to God, you cannot eat this. But the voice in the vision tells him, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And then, for emphasis, the vision, the same thing happens again. And then it happens a third time. You know God's trying to get your attention when you get the same message three times. And just as Simon Peter's coming out of the trance, he hears people at the gate talking about him, asking for him. Now skip down with me to verses 19 and 20. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And the Greek word hesitate, has, it means that, but it has a broader meaning than that. It also means don't differentiate. Don't be prejudiced against them. And so they tell him Cornelius' story, and the next morning, Simon leaves for Caesarea, along with six of his friends, plus the three that Cornelius sent. Um, they're heading their way up 30 miles, make the long trip up to Caesarea. If you were a Jew back then, uh, it was okay. If you met a Gentile on the street, you could talk. I mean, there was no rule against that. Um, it was a little uncomfortable, though, a little dicey if you had a Gentile in your house. But the one thing that Jewish custom would not allow you to do was to, to enter the, the, hall, the house of a Gentile. You must never do that. That is crossing one too many lines. That is the breaking point. And here stands Simon Peter at the threshold 
about to walk in to the house of a Gentile for the very first time in his life. And I'm sure he's thinking, oh, Lord, am I doing the right thing? Is this what you want me to do? I've never been in the house of a Gentile before. But he walks in, and he meets all of Cornelius' relatives and friends who have gathered there. And suddenly he understands the vision from the day before. It's not about food at all. It was about people. God wants to, to bring Jews and Gentiles together as his people. Let's go to verse 28, where Simon Peter speaks to Cornelius and his guests. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. In other words, God has shown me not to be prejudiced just because you're not Jewish. And then Simon tells them about Jesus, and they are, they are ready to believe. They are eager to believe, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And, and now, you know, suddenly Simon has a whole new set of friends that he didn't have before, sisters and brothers in Christ. But you see, first, God had to get him past his prejudice. We, we limit ourselves, we limit our friendships until God can get us past our prejudice. So this morning, our big idea is actually a quote from Scott Sauls, who is the author of the book, Befriend. Here it is. When God reveals a prejudice in us, he gives us what we need to overcome it. Isn't that a great promise? I love that. Let's say it together, shall we? When God reveals a prejudice in us, he gives us what we need to overcome it. All his life, Simon thought Gentiles were the enemy. And they were icky too. They, they were impure, unclean. Uh, but God revealed his prejudice to him and gave him what he needed to overcome it. Some of you remember the, uh, the refugee family that we helped earlier in the year. Uh, uh, Trish and I found, kind of found out about them. And uh, they, had, they were here a few times. Uh, Samirin and her two daughters, um, when they arrived here in Omaha, they moved in with another family that they had known in the refugee camp. And um, so um, last winter, you know, we went out and we, we met them there at that house. There were... Uh, with, with both families together, there were, I think, eight people or so living there uh, in a house that wasn't a, it wasn't a real dinky house, but it was, you know, smaller than ours. And, and we also learned later that one of their teenage daughters had even given up her room and went to go live with some friends for a few months so that Samirin and her girls would have a place to live. Well, um, then uh, a little later, we invited both family, both of those families, to our house for dinner. Uh, you know, our, I would say our house is probably an average size for Millard. But at one point, one of them asked, well, kind of looking around, and said, who else lives here? <laughs> well, she might have been a little surprised to learn it was just the two of us. And our two guest rooms are usually empty. 
Now, I don't feel guilty about our house. I, I appreciate getting to live there, and, and, but sometimes I wonder if I would have been as generous as their friends were who made room for three guests for six months. Anyway, Arun, the father of the, of the refugee family, finally got his visa and arrived here in June, and we, we got to go in, in July uh, to the, now they live in an apartment. We got to go to their apartment where they live and see them. And, and in August, I sent Arun a message, a text message, and, and we set a time to have lunch together. So on that day, I, I went to go pick him up, and we went got some lunch someplace. And as we were dining on our taco salads, uh, we talked about ministry. And in India, see, Arun, he wasn't a pastor, but he worked in a Christian organization and he shared how the team that he was on, they, they used uh, sports and music and, and medical care to help kind of build relationships and draw people in and uh, give them an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And, and he told them how that sometimes they would go door to door and, and get into great conversations with people and build friendships with them and, and how eventually from that many people came to faith in Christ. And I want you to know, as, I, as we sat there talking, I was so impressed I, I love his commitment. I love his, his creativity, his drive. And in that conversation, he was the teacher. I was the student. I could no longer assume that because I'm an educated American that I know more than he does. It ain't necessarily so. When God reveals a prejudice in us, he gives us what we need to overcome it. One person who had a, a big influence on my life when I was in college was a guy named Herb Jost. I don't know if any of you ever known that name anywhere, but um, Herb was not a pastor, he was, but he was in full-time ministry. And uh, in Lincoln, where he lived, he had, he had two venues where he really invested his time in ministry. One was the state capitol, and the other was a state penitentiary. He brought the love of Jesus to felons and politicians. He listened to them. He loved them. He prayed with them. He, he introduced them to Jesus. He encouraged them to walk in faith. And one thing that was so amazing and so obvious to me about Herb was that he showed no favoritism. He, he could tell a story about how excited he was to, to pray with this inmate just as much as the opportunity to pray with a senator. It was no different to him. I think Herb was living out uh, in, the book, in the Bible, James 1, verse 2, or excuse me, 2, verse 1, which says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord and Jesus Christ must, shot, must not show favoritism must not show favoritism. I remember my first uh, mission trip. Uh, we went to Nuevo Laredo, uh, Mexico, just across the border from Laredo, Texas. And we were there to help a, a Methodist church there to do some repair and uh, improvements on their building. And it was, it was great. We got to work side by side with the, with the people of that church. Most of them didn't speak English. Most of us didn't speak Spanish. We had, we had a couple interpreters, which, which helped. Uh, my crew, I know we spent a few days, and we were nailing up pine boards to, to make a ceiling 
in this one kind of gathering room just off the, the, their sanctuary. But I also remember about this that we had to be careful because it would have been so easy for us to want to just take charge and do it our way. But we were the guests. This was their church. We have to do it their way. When God reveals a prejudice in us, he gives us what we need to overcome it. You know, we're just nine days away from an election, right? And so I thought I'd share this. Some of you saw I posted it on Facebook a few days ago. It's a quote from John Wesley, who's the founder of Methodist, Methodist movement. And uh, anyway, here it is. He said, I met those of our Methodist society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, one, to vote without fee or reward for the person they judged most worthy. That is, don't let anybody buy your vote. Two, speak no evil of the person they voted against. Did you hear that one? Two, to speak no, two, two, three, to care, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. Wow. Is that relevant for today? Huh? I mean, especially the last two, speak no evil of, about a candidate and, and maintain a loving attitude toward those who disagree with you. I want to give John Wesley a big high five. Now, the, the reason that Cornelius and his friends were so eager to believe about Jesus was because God was already at work in their hearts preparing them. Maybe God had to work in their hearts about their own prejudice before they were ready to believe in Jesus, a Jew, and who he was. And they were hungry. God had, God had stirred in their hearts and created a hunger to, to know more of God and what he's doing in this world. And I believe that God is preparing some of you. God has been preparing some of you to the point that you would give your life to him and say, okay, Jesus, I've learned a lot about you, but I, I, wanna, I want you to live in me and live your life out in me. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want, I want this, this life of salvation that you've promised. And still today, all over the world, Jesus is transforming people's lives like that, just like he's been doing for 20 centuries. So today, here's how I want to end the message. I want to give a paraphrase of the, of the gospel message that Simon Peter gave to Cornelius and all his friends and relatives. Like, folks, this is, this is the good news. God shows no favoritism. He accepts people from every nation who want to walk in his ways. You heard about Jesus. Jesus is God's message of good news for all people. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit and traveled throughout Judea and Galilee healing people because God was with him. Many people witnessed his miracles. 
The jealous leaders had him killed on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he was seen alive by those who were chosen to be his witnesses. These witnesses even ate with him after his resurrection. The ancient prophets foretold that all these things would happen to the Messiah. Now, God has appointed Jesus to be the Lord of all and the judge of all, and he is the Savior for all. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of all their sins. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of all their sins. That's the good news. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we, we recognize that this good news, even if we've heard it many times before and we've believed it for a long time, when we hear it again, it just brings life and joy into our hearts. And, Lord, there are some here today that find themselves on the very edge of that, just like Cornelius was. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come upon them, that you will speak into their minds and hearts to let them know this is life, this is truth, this is the way. And, Lord, we pray that you will allow us to, to, to live with you and walk with you in joy and in peace and in, in uh, and the love that just walk in this great love that you have for us, that we get to just pour out of our lives onto others. And so, Lord, we ask that you'll continue to do your transforming work in us. Expose to us, reveal to us our prejudices that may even be hidden from each one of us. But as you do reveal them, Lord, we count on you to, in your wonderful, healing, gentle way, to give us what we need to overcome them. Oh, Lord God, thank you for being so kind. And we thank you that you do not show favoritism, that we are all your children. We're all sinners needing salvation. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen.